Hey guys, welcome to Sam's Podcast, the home of truth, life, love, and music, and where we keep it all about Jesus Christ. So today we continue on our series delve on posts from Sam's blog. The series is The Need to Love, and this been really reflective of God's love, and also, you know, the coming season of love, that is February 14th, though it should be a yearly all day thing. Anyway, let's get back to business. The need to love, our second episode will be the need to love gardens. Now, just a disclaimer, gardens is not actually a word in the English dictionary, but it is a conglomerate of two words, which you shall discover as we go on on this post. The meaning of it shall also be revealed to you. So stay tuned as we delve into this audiobook approach on the posts from Sam's blog. Right, are you ready? Three, two, one, let's go. Whilst desire in itself is not an ailment, its uncontrolled budding is a sure foreseen precursor of chronic consequences. Call this consequences, fruits. In this case, bad fruits. Is the need to love a desire? If so, is it wrong to desire love, which essentially is a good fruit? We pick it up from the last post. Quote from the last post. Questions then struck the corners of my startled mind. Thoughts carefreely traversed the already crowded biological CPU, or in other terms, Buruvain. A beehive of activity was making rounds all around. Were my intentions wrong? Did I sin by desiring to want to be with someone else's daughter? Adapted from The Need to Love, first off of the series on Sam's blog. Far be it from truth. Tweet, human beings are sexual beings. Or rather, quote, we continue. God created human beings and wired them with all kinds of physiological reflex instructed hormonal interactions that, along with other important mutually inclusive biological systems, associate to bring out the sexual characteristics of a human being. Human beings are, as I heard in one of my audiobook delves, sexual beings. They were created with an innate natural desire for a social setting. That includes the contexts of family, school, work, friends, etc., but a more closer look would easily tell away the fact that the innate desire for socializing also has the desire for affection under its umbrella. What kind of affection, though? For affection exists in several different forms. In this case, this one would be the kind of affection that is not unidirectional, as in parent-to-child affection, but a more expectant type of affection from both parties involved. That is, affection from a significant other of the opposite sex. This isn't apparent only for adults, but we even see its inception in children. Early childhood development professionals and primary elementary school teachers would accurately put the period in which a child starts to be aware of the gradually growing desire towards persons of the opposite sex at the range of 7 to 12 years. Therefore, is sexual promiscuity then to be excused from the younglings? No, 
by all means call a spade a spade and not a spoon. Being labeled sexual does not give us humans the license to be irresponsible with our sexuality, whether the humans are mature, adults, or ignorant kids. With the recent surge of outright rebellious sexual perversion through choice of lyrical words, gyrating dance moves, and enticing mob support, we could easily point out the foul stench as coming directly from these, our dear youths. Knowingly or unknowingly, though, they have demonstrated that they actually possess this strong need to love and be loved, an honest desire I'd add to their defense. Their unfiltered confidence in showing it, though, speaks tales of not only feeling, but also being restricted from expressing this need. The restriction possibly taking place either physically, emotionally, or even psychologically. As some have argued, growing under failed marriages, technological devolution to the individual scale, absentee parents, these are among the major factors that have a say in how these young peeps were brought up without a common value system inculcated in them. A sort of rebellious culture has arisen in the wake of the shortcomings of the preceding generation, that of their parents, their guardians, those who were expected to nurture them, but if we are to closely examine, also didn't necessarily have a manual to refer to. So unto whom shall our fingers point? These younglings are humans. And they do also possess this innate desire to love and be loved. They are potent with youthful energy and are also ignorant or simply lack knowledge. That tripartite combination has the accumulative power to be highly destructive, yet at the same time greatly generative. What they decide to do with these three powers that they, may, that they possess may likely trickle down into an entire generation built up or an entire generation cast down. They need help to understand how to handle and use these so-called powers they possess. Who better to task with this responsibility to bring them up with Christian discipline and understanding than our able parents? our able fellow adults, or were they able in the first place? Don't we adults also possess this, these three powers? Yes, we actually do. We desire to love and be loved. We are fairly energetic, even if the youthful part doesn't quite apply to all. And we aren't a monopoly of knowledge. Both of us, young and old alike, need something more than the desires we are quick to gratify. We need guidance. And I quote, Desire requires to be not only guided into what nurtures it responsibly, but also guarded from what grows it uncontrollably. End of quote. We'd do English and humanity a small favor by respelling it as guardance, that is, a conglomeration of guidance and guarding. Why so? Because desire. Desire grows, and like anything that grows, it requires to be not only guided into what nurtures it responsibly, but also guarded from what grows it uncontrollably. 
we are quick to point out the promiscuity in this current generation of adolescents before first examining examining our own estate. We probably need their dose of medicine more than they actually need it. Where do we think their guidance and guarding ought to come from? Point in the mirror. We need to be careful lest it turns out to be a classic tale of the blind leading the blind. And Jesus did talk about what would be the result of such an occurrence. Where will our gardens come from? A link desire to something I've been learning in my recent studies. It's called a pluripotent cell. Defined as immature cells, usually stem cells that are capable or potent, which is with potential, of giving rise to several different cell types. They arise according to their type from specific areas in the body, for example, the bone marrow. Now, desire is pretty much like this type of cells, these pluripotent cells. It grows exponentially. It, in the face of much freedom, has the potential to give rise to toxic cancerous intentions, of which the word highlights as sin. Desire is in its nature not sin, but the pursuit of its growth in an uncultured environment is highly likely to lead one to sin, even unintentionally. Small sin, big sin, before a holy God still is sin. I quote, If we are to overcome the overwhelming tides of our desires and wants, we ought to control the flow from the source of the spring. End of quote. Now, we may need to know where our desires arise from. What is their source? For if we are to come if we are to overcome the overwhelming tides of our desires and wants, we ought to control the flow from the source of the spring. Yes, desire does also arise from somewhere. Like bone marrow is for some pluripotent cells, so is the heart for desire, the human heart. The word has described it as evil, deceitful, lacking cure, None understandable, the source of life's issues. It is what the Lord examines, for it relays wide open the truth of man's thoughts, plans, motives, desires, and by it man will be judged. To imagine that our desires stem from such a place is worrying, to say the least. Our hearts play a major role in our response to God, in our worship in our trust in him, in our obedience of him and heeding to his wise words to us, in our plans, yes, in what we would desire to happen in our lives and those of others, even desiring to love and be loved. How, then, can we please God with our heart, yet it is described as deceitful and evil? How can our desires ever align to God's good, pleasing, and perfect will for our lives and for the ones we affect or that affect us if our hearts already stand unclean before a holy, righteous, and just God? That is the end of our second episode in this series of The Need to Love. This is The Need to Love Gardens. I hope you've enjoyed listening to this. It was a real pleasure 
listening um being able to read this and go through everything and so i'm really grateful to you who's listening thus far i hope that you've gotten something i know it's ended so abruptly but it's to be continued in the next episode and so if you want to probably delve in and have a sneak peek of what's to come feel free go to sam's blog on wordpress that is www.samsparking.wordpress.com that is www.samsparking.wordpress.com which is our url over there click on it go and delve through all the posts over there yes and you shall be in the know <laughs> on what's coming up next week so next week will be the need to love gardens 2 so it's like a second prequel is it a prequel or a sequel to this episode and that will be our final post on the series so stay tuned thank you so much for listening in if you want to reach out to us our official platforms are ever open that is on facebook at sam's blog on twitter at blog sam and on instagram at sam's blog follow us feel free to take to our dms and you know express yourself share suggestions our email as always is open samspodcast@gmail.com and yeah we'll we'll be glad to have you over there thank you so much see you soon on our next episode bye